The following podcasts are going to be concentrated on understanding how history serves to change the mindset of a nation and how critical these things are to understand. Do you know the history of the United States? Do you know the history of your state or your community? Who is today the Secretary of State? Who is the Secretary of Transportation? These sort of things that we need to know. But changing history and altering the facts will change the course and the trajectory of our nation if things are built upon lies, twisted truths, and misrepresentations. One man that I want to concentrate on, I read his history a few years ago, and I've been involved with secondary education and, of course, university training and all this, but I have asked people constantly, what historian do you respect the most? And they bring up a man named Howard Zinn. I began to look at his writings, A People's History of the United States. It's a complete farce, a total misrepresentation. He does not offer any citations or support for his theories. It's a constant melange of lies and disingenuous theories and ideas. And yet, this man is considered the most influential historian in the United States today and for the past 20 years. So I want to address this man and his teaching in the following podcast, but I want you to listen carefully. And if you wish, if you want, examine what I'm saying and see if I'm accurate. You may support Howard Zinn and be encouraged by everything he has to say. Personally, I am not. I'm encouraged by facts and proof. Howard Jinn does not offer anything other than misguided, opinionated Marxist views that don't coincide with American history. So, if you can bear with me and follow along, I think you'll be surprised by what you learn. And I would encourage you, in anything that I have to say, that you look it up for yourself. And if I'm wrong, please advise me. But advise me according to facts. I do appreciate your participation, and thank you very much for listening. This is Global Marxism, and I am Frank Goss. I appreciate your participation and hope this information provides you with food for thought as we consider the confusion we're facing in America today. Let's see if these things are indeed remotely possible. When it comes to reading history, I have a particular list of authors that I like to read and those that I have confidence in. Uh, there's a guy named John Meacham, who I really like. He's written some books that I've used and studied. William Manchester has some excellent books on the presidents. Ted Morgan has written about FDR. Ambrose, his work on Eisenhower was tremendous. Author Schlesinger Jr. is a tremendous, tremendous author, as well as David McCullough. Now, David McCullough is an exceptional writer, one that I greatly admire. I don't, I don't embrace his politics too much. And 
he doesn't come across that much with his political views and what he writes. He, he tends to manage to stay above the fray when it comes to political opinion in his writings. Joseph Ellis is a good one. Uh, but there's a few that I really admire and I enjoy reading, and I trust when I read them. But there are some that you just have to back off from and say, where did he get his information? Now, in that we're considering the idea of how Marxism is coming into America and how it has gotten here, one of the things that we've mentioned is there is a, a tremendous effort being made and an effort that has been made over time towards revising American history. And today we see it being accelerated in a great way. Statues of famous men, our heroes, are being torn down and denigrated. Christopher Columbus, uh, rather than being a hero, is a villain. Uh, Washington is a, a bad guy. He's a white supremacist, as was Thomas Jefferson and the rest of our leaders. But where are these ideas coming from? And you have to consider who wrote them and what was their position. A lot of people mention Webb Dubois, W-E-B Dubois as one of the great civil rights guys. Well, he was a marked communist, great buddies with uh, Mao Zedong and, and these other guys. He was a radical. No, I wouldn't trust him with anything he has to say regarding America. Uh, there are several guys that you just put aside and you don't listen to, but one who has become the most influential historian in the United States is a man named Howard Zinn. Howard Zinn is an anti-American Marxist to the core. And his cartoon, Anti-History of the United States, sells two to three million volumes. 128,000 copies a year after its original publication. And many of these copies are assigned reading and in universities and colleges and high schools. And these courses are being taught by radical leftists, Marxists, socialists. They're radical ideas. Howard Zinn once remarked that objectivity is impossible, and it's also undesirable. And he said that if it were possible, it would be an undesirable thing, because if you have any kind of social aim, if you think history should serve society in some way, you should serve the progressive nature of the human race. You should serve justice in some way. Then it requires, if you're going to look at history and use this to serve justice, that you make your selection on the basis of what you think will advance the cause of humanity. Make history fit your ideas and fit your cause. History serving a social aim other than the preservation or interpretation of an accurate historical record is precisely what we get in Zinn's work, A People's History of the United States. Howard Zinn's 776-page book, after selling several million copies, has recently been re-released in hardback edition. I will add this at the very beginning. I have no respect or admiration at all for this man, Howard Zinn. None. And I really don't care who in academia supports the man. He was a wicked man. He was a liar and he twisted truth to meet his own ends and to present history in his own view. He did not use facts. In order to do this, he had to deceive the people. How did he manage to sell so many books? Well, I don't know. He had a lot of celebrities that stand with him in his view, so they pushed it. Zinn also discussed politics with Pearl Jam's Eddie Vedder and was on Rage Against the Machine's reading list. 
And one thing you need to take note of is don't read books that are on the reading list of some hard rock guys, okay? That's just not a smart thing to do. Also, in, in the movie, Good Will Hunting, Matt Damon's Will Hunting tells his psychiatrist that a people's history of the United States will knock you on your ass. So he gave a big promotion to the book. Damon and co-star Ben Affleck, who grew up near uh, Howard Zinn outside of Harvard Square, both of these guys are said to be producing a miniseries based on Howard Zinn's magnum opus, the book that he wrote, America's History. Zinn repaid the actors' youthful infatuation by including them in an inconsequential paragraph in the book's new edition. The New York Times reviewer declared that the book should be a required reading for students. New York Times. Professors have heeded this counsel and have definitely put the book into the curricula of the universities. Courses at the University of Colorado in Boulder, University of Massachusetts in Amherst, Penn State, Indiana University, and others are among dozens of classes nationwide that require the book to be read. The book is so popular that it can be found on a class syllabus in such fields as economics, political science, literature, and women's studies, in addition to its more understandable inclusion with American history. Amazon.com reports in the site's popular in section that the book is currently number seven at Emory University, number four at the University of New Mexico, number nine at Brown University, and number seven at the University of Washington. In fact, 16 of the 40 locations listed in a people's history popular in section are academic institutions, with the remainder of the list dominated by college towns like Minghampton, New York, State College, Pennsylvania, East Lansing, Michigan, and Athens, Georgia, home of the University of Georgia. Now, with this information, it's reasonable to wonder if most of the million or so copies sold have been done so via coercion, i.e., meaning college professors and high school teachers requiring the book to be read. The book is deemed to be so crucial to the development of a young mind by some academics that a course at Evergreen State University decreed this is an advanced class and all students should have read Howard Zinn's A People's History of the United States before the first day of class to give us a common background to begin the class. Now, it must be noted that Evergreen State University is an extremely radical Marxist university. What common background are they seeking to get? Through Zinn's Looking Glass, Maoist China, site of history's bloodiest state-sponsored killings, according to Howard Zinn, becomes the closest thing in the long history of the ancient country to a people's government, independent of outside control. The authoritarian Nicaraguan Santanistas, who were welcomed by their own people while the opposition Contras backed the candidate that triumphed when free elections were fully held. The Sandinistas were a terrorist group that seemed to have no popular support inside of Nicaragua. Castro's Cuba, readers learned, had no bloody record of suppression. These are lies. The recent updated edition continues to be plagued with inaccuracies, we'd say, in order to be kind, and obvious poor judgment. The added sections on the Clinton years, the 2000 election and 9-11, bear little resemblance to the reality that actually occurred. Many of us lived through those things, so we're able to see the discrepancies. 
But this doesn't phase Howard Zinn. His boldness and his lies, uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't know what shame is all about. In an effort to bolster his arguments against putting criminals in jail, aggressive law enforcement tactics and Bill Clinton's crime bill, Zinn contends that in spite of all this, violent crime continues to increase. I mean, we have all these things that we're doing in order to abate crime, but it doesn't matter. Crime continues to grow. Now, Zinn said that, but the data shows that he was wrong. Crime didn't continue to grow. He was lying. He was picturing history as he wished to picture it, and he wants you to see it. Now, like much of Zinn's rhetoric, if you believe the opposite of what he says, then you would be correct. According to the Department of Justice report that was released in September of 2002, the violent crime rate has been cut in half since 1993. That is a 50% drop, which nationally is staggering. But according to Howard Zinn, it was Mumia Abu-Jamal's race and radicalism, as well as his persistent criticism of the Philadelphia police, that landed him on death row in the early 1980s. Nothing about Abu-Jamal's gun being found at the scene was mentioned. Nothing about the testimony of numerous witnesses pointing to him as the trigger man who actually pulled the trigger seemed to matter. Nothing about additional witnesses reporting a confession made by Abu Jamal. It was Abu Jamal's dissenting voice that caused a jury of 12 to unanimously sentence him to death. It was a white supremacist move towards a black man. Forget all the evidence. Predictably, Howard Zinn draws a moral equivalence between America and the 9-11 terrorists. He writes, it seemed that the United States was reacting to the horrors perpetrated by the terrorists against innocent people in New York by killing other innocent people in Afghanistan. We'll take our anger out in another country. Readers of A People's History of the United States learn very little about history. They do learn quite a bit, however, about Howard Zinn. In fact, this book is perhaps best thought of as a massive Rorschach test with the author's familiar reaction to every major event in American history, proving that his is a captive mind long closed by his ideology. Howard Zinn hates America, and he wants to influence as many other Americans and help them towards hating America as well. If you read Karl Marx, there's no reason to read Howard Zinn. The first line in the Communist Manifesto provides a single bullet theory of history that proves that Howard Zinn, with his narrative thread, the history of all hitherto existing societies, is the history of class struggle. That's Marxism in a nutshell. That's Howard Zinn in a nutshell. And that's what your child gets to read. It's the all-purpose explanation of every subject that Howard Zinn covers. On the other hand... Why study history when theory has all the answers? Just study opinion. And it better be the Marxist opinion, because that's where our universities are at, and that's where Howard Zinn takes us. Thumb through the book, A People's History of the United States, and you'll find greed as the motivating factor behind every act of those who don't qualify as the people in Howard Zinn's book. 
According to Zinn, the separation of Great Britain, the Civil War, and both World Wars all were re- results of base motives of the ruling class, which basically says the rich get richer at the expense of you and I. He's building a dialectic, a Marxist dialectic. His Marxist explanation of the New World begins with Christopher Columbus, who, like every other settler in the New World, was driven by the evil motive of profit. Behind the English invasion of North America, behind their massacre of Indians, their deception, their brutality, was that special, powerful drive born in civilizations based on private profit. This malicious view of people who often came to the New World to escape persecution in the old, who sometimes championed the rights of indigenous peoples, and who mostly attempted to live peacefully alongside them, is characteristic of the extreme anti-European, anti-white, any American prejudice of this book. The idea that the Indians, who themselves were invaders by Zen standard, they came on a land bridge from Asia and exterminated the then native peoples. The idea that these people somehow owned the continent is such a fantasy as the idea that they would simply pass they were simply passive victims of the settlers. Zinn's account omits the unprovoked aggression of the Indians on each other and on the settlers. He didn't want them to look bad. Colored people good, white people bad. Then doing this, if he was to point out that the aggressors were the coloreds and the dead people were the white, it would spoil his Marxist melodrama. This melodrama that he he develops depends on simplistically dividing mankind into two groups. It's the dialectic, the argument. You have oppressors and you have the oppressed. And this is how Howard Zinn describes and, and utterly distorts the early settlement of North America. The Pequot War serves as an example, and we'll look at it as well as an example. The war was climaxed when the Pequot stronghold uh, in Fort Mystic was burned in battle and all its inhabitants incinerated in May of 1637. Finding themselves severely outnumbered, the attackers had set fire to the Pequot compound. This is a tragic enough story, but Zinn, he can't be satisfied until it becomes a story of Native American innocence and victimhood versus rapacious and evil white supremacists, the white settlers. Thus, the Pukwa violence against whites that led to the war is almost entirely absent from the text. He doesn't bring that up. The most Zinn can bring himself to admit is that the massacres took place on both sides. In fact, the author details only about the atrocities committed by the one side, the white guys, the Puritans, the religious people. Now, while graphic description of Puritan violence are highlighted, Pukwa atrocities are brushed aside. Now, here are some examples that you won't find Howard Zinn depicting. They took two people, the Pukwa, they took two people out on a boat and they murdered them with ingenious barbarity, cutting off first the hands of one of them. And after his cries were heard, then they cut off his feet. Now this was written by a man who was there, 19th century historian John Gorham Palfrey. And he wrote this in response to what the Pukwats had done and how they had assaulted the settlers and incited the settlers to respond. Soon after, 
Two other men sailing down the river were stopped. And again, they were horribly mutilated and mangled, and their bodies were cut in two, lengthwise. And the parts of their bodies were hung up on the river bank. A man who had been carried off from Withersfield was literally roasted alive. All doubt as to the necessity of vigorous responsive action was over when a band of a hundred Pequots attacked that place and killed seven men, a woman, and a child, and they carried off two girls. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out why the settlers might have decided to resort to violent means to deal with the Pequots. But it does take somebody a bit more honest than Howard Zinn to paint a proper picture. Howard Zinn has an agenda, and his book is twisted and turned in order to fill that agenda. Howard Zinn, take note of this and listen to me. Tell your friends and your neighbors. Howard Zinn is a liar. As an author, he only mentions briefly the atrocity that precipitated the war, which was the killing of a settler named John Oldham. Zinn morally justifies the murder of John Oldham by labeling him a traitor, an Indian kidnapper, and a troublemaker. But then he offers no truth. He no, offers no support. This is his opinion. It fits his agenda. This loaded account helps Zinn persuade his readers that it was white supremacy and white greed that led to the Pequot War. The settlers, said Zinn, wanted the Pequots out of the way. Why? They wanted their land. But he offers no support. He offers no detailed information. This was Howard Zinn's opinion. Absent from Zinn's devious narrative are the atrocities that the Pequots committed even against other Indians in the Connecticut Valley. The Pequots not only managed war on the whites, but on their fellow Native Americans as well. They were a belligerent people that were feared by the weaker tribes. The Pequots were a ravenously wicked people. But Zinn will present that to you. Why? Because Howard Zinn has an agenda. So consequently, while Zinn portrays the Pequot War as a Puritan versus Indian conflict, the fact is that both Puritans and Indians fought against the Pequots. Nothing could be further from the truth. Indian tribes, for example, the Narragansett, repeatedly urged the English newcomers to attack their enemies, namely the Pequot. Zinn writes that Indian tribes were used against one another by the Puritans, when in fact the exact reverse was true. Indian tribes used the Puritans and their superior firepower to eradicate their fellow Indians who posed a threat to them. The Pequots were an enemy that had to be extinguished. So the other Indian tribes worked with the Puritans to help eliminate them. In fact, the Indians were the majority in the attacking force at Fort Mystic. Zinn doesn't mention that, does he? Read his book and see if he does. The whites comprised less than 15% of the 500-plus men who attacked the Pequot stronghold and burned it to the ground. Ah, that's wild, isn't it? Zinn did never mention that, did he? And after the horrific conflagration ended... It was the Mohegan Indians who executed the Pequot's captured chief. It was not the white supremacist. It was not the Puritan, as our Howard Zinn puts forth. Zinn's account of the Pequot War is a microcosm of how his whole book approaches history. 
And his book as a whole is a little more than an 800-page libel against the United States of America. This is Frank Goss with Vintage Broadcasting. We do appreciate your participation in listening to our broadcast. We hope that it benefits you in some way and that you'll continue listening in the days to come. 